good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this evening. What a wonderful way to begin the new year, to close the first day in worship to God, beautiful uh, songs of praise. What a blessing we have in, in having Andrew to lead singing for us. Um, he just does a tremendous, tremendous job. Again, we rejoice with Elizabeth, and what a way to begin uh, the year uh, in her life. We rejoice for her and for her family. And, and Phil kind of put it in baseball jargon. He said, hey, we're on pace to baptize at least 365 people this year. Uh, so uh, that would be a wonderful thing. Maybe we can uh, have at least one every day this year. But if not, at least we can baptize as many and reach as many uh, that the Lord would give us the opportunity. And let's make sure that we do everything this year uh, to just simply see the open doors that God places before us. There's no doubt that there are people in this community that are looking for a closer relationship with God. And let's make sure that we have the open eyes to see those opportunities of that and, and do what we can do to help those individuals move closer to God. Having uh, Scott lead us in our opening prayer this evening reminds us that it is nice to have our college-age uh, people back uh, for the break, and it is good to have them with us, and it's always a joy to see them come home. If you would be open your Bibles again to 1 Samuel as we complete this lesson tonight, if you'll remember, we're really trying to accomplish three things in the lessons today. We're looking at the fact that naturally at New Year's is a good time to examine our life and think of ways in which we hope to grow and to be closer to God in the coming year. We also look at this as a tremendous opportunity to kick off a theme for a year which we are thinking about coming home. And we're going to look at the topic of home from probably six different standpoints throughout the year. We're also thinking about today the wonderful blessing that the Lord has given us as more men are added to the leadership position of that of deacon and the blessing that that is for us as a church family and the added responsibility that it is for them in their lives. And so looking at all of this, Samuel came to my mind because Samuel was a man that carried a position among the Lord's people. As a matter of fact, he carried several positions. He was the last of the judges. He was the first of the prophets. He also carried out priestly duties. Between the last of the judges uh, of Eli and then the first king of Saul, he was the only man, if you will, that was in charge of the people. He carried a very heavy responsibility. And so it is we see as we study Samuel amidst all of this great responsibility of riding the circuit, if you will, to fulfill his obligation. We read in our text this morning that he continued to come back to Ramah because that was his home. Let's read this again as we finish this text tonight. We're in 1 Samuel, we're in the 7th chapter, and he says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. You see, that's commitment. All the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel. There he built an altar to the Lord. We talked this morning about the importance of home and all the blessing that home brings into our life, but also the responsibility that being a member of any home brings into any member of that home. Secondly, we talked about responsibility. 
And we talked this morning, closing with Luke the ninth chapter, that as we become a God, part of God's family, that we put our hands to the plow, and we are responsible to be laborers in God's family. We see the analogy of us in God's family many ways in the Scriptures, and almost every time it points to productivity. In other words, we are a branch on a vine, and that branch is to bear fruit. In other words, we are laborers in a vineyard. In other words, we're laborers that put our hands around the plow. A very common one was sheep among a shepherd. Why? Because sheep was a productive crop, if you will, for agriculture of that day. You see, the analogies that the Lord gives us, if we were to ask the question, well, who are we? As God's people, who are we? Over and over, the analogies point to the fact that we're laborers. We're people that are productive in the Lord's service. And so we looked and considered the fact that all of us need to see ourselves as having a responsibility in God's home, the church here on this earth. But you know, staying with the theme today and looking at Samuel, a man of position, we see that what every church needs is that every church needs deacons that deal responsibly in the work that they have been given. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts the sixth chapter. In Acts the sixth chapter, we see what was the church in her infancy. Later on, as the church would mature, we would see that the organization would actually be elders looking over each congregation and deacons serving in each congregation. The church is so young at this point, the apostles are still leading the church. And so it's time now because they've been growing. Something's going to have to change. There's going to have to be more leaders, not necessarily more apostles, but there's going to have to be more leaders. In verse 1, which is not on your screen, but I'd like you to notice the setting of this uh, paragraph here. In verse 1 he says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. What we have here is we have a growing church, and we also have growing pains. In other words, as the church grew, the membership grew, the needs grew also. Although the apostles could give inspired writings, although the apostles could perform miracles, I need to note this, leaders, the apostles could not do everything. Now, I offer to you that if the apostles couldn't do it all, we're foolish to believe that a few men on earth ought to be able to do it all. As a church grows, it's only natural that the number of leaders will have to grow in order to maintain the needs of the flock and the needs of reaching out to the community and to the world. And so we see growing pains, and the apostles insisted that they would not leave their responsibility. You see, they were very clear on their responsibility, ministering in the Word and in prayer. Someone needed to take care of these widows. And so he says, you select seven servants. Let's read verse 3 here. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. In other words, the apostles were literally saying here, we're going to place this as their responsibility. We're not going to wake up every day and wonder whether or not those widows are being taken care of their daily needs. Not that it's not important. It's just that one group of men cannot fulfill every need in the life of a congregation. And so the apostle says, we're going to make sure that it's taken care of. We're going to find men that can make sure that it's taken care of. And we're going to place that burden on the congregation. 
You select seven men that you believe can handle this task. Make sure that they fulfill these qualifications. And note this, we're going to appoint them over this business. Well, I don't know if we could ask him to do that or not. You know, sometimes he just doesn't follow through when, when he says he'll do something. You know, when a statement like that's made in the workplace, that's not good. When it's made in a civic organization, it's not good. But friends, if a statement like that is made about a deacon in the Lord's church, it's a disaster in the life of that individual. We ought to be responsible at all times. But if there's any place that our responsibility ought to be 100% genuine, it ought to be in the work of the Lord. And so it is, the apostles realized they couldn't do everything, but they believed that men about them would be capable of being over this business. I want you to note the word then as we read a conclusion. By the way, they appointed these men. The congregation selected. The, the apostles gathered around and prayed over them, laid their hands on them. Look at verse 7. Then... In other words, now that this is taken care of, this paragraph started out by saying, look, we've got growing pains, we've got problems, we have to do something. Now it's handled. Has it been handled correctly? Then the Word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. When did that happen? It didn't happen in the midst of this problem, apparently. It happened after this problem was taken care of. Now, isn't it interesting that the Word of God spread when widows were being fed? Let that sink in. Isn't it interesting that the number of disciples increased when widows were being fed? What's the point? I believe the application from us, for us to learn from this is the fact that anything that's a work of the church is important to the spreading of the Word of God and to the multiplying of disciples. Someone says, well, you know, my area is, is more with the physical uh, property or my area is more with the building or my area is more with, with a vehicle or transportation. I really don't work directly with, with the spreading of the gospel. That's not true. Friends, if we are involved in the Lord's work and every person in the Lord's church is carrying out their responsibility together as one body, many members, 1 Corinthians 12, all of us are working together to spread the Word of God. All of us are working together to multiply the number of disciples. And what a blessing it is when all of us, every member, and all those that have specific responsibilities of the positions of deacon and of elders carry out their responsibilities. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. 1 Timothy, the third chapter, of course, is the qualifications of deacons, but at the end of this list of qualifications, which, by the way, begins in verse 8, and in verse 13, we have a concluding verse about the office of deacon. And I just want you to notice the word served well as we read verse 13 here. We're in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, in verse 13. He's just talked about the list of qualifications for the deacon, and he summarizes by saying, For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
What a beautiful thought to be in good standings. And we ought to stop and ask ourselves, good standings with whom? Turn with me to Matthew, the 25th chapter, and let's see a parable that the Lord taught. A parable that probably most of you are going to know pretty well. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, there was a man that was going on a far journey. We begin reading that in verse 14. And he gathered his servants together and distributed his goods, if you will, to make sure that while he was away, they would be taken care of. And he looked at each one, according to verse 15, according to their own ability. So in other words, he had five talents, which was a sum of money. He had five talents, and he looked at this man, and it was his own servant. He knew the ability of this servant. He says, I'm going to leave with you five talents. He looks at another one, and he says, he's not as talented as this guy. He, he doesn't have as great ability. I'm going to give this man two. But I tell you what. I'm going to give this man one. He doesn't have quite as much ability. I wasn't demeaning to any of those. It was simply each one according to their ability. We, of course, by the end of this story, are going to see that the one did not satisfy the Lord or this man when he returned home from his far country. It wasn't because he only had one. The one that had five used what God gave him in a responsible fashion. The one that had two used what God gave him in responsible fashion. The one that had only one did not use what God left him in a responsible fashion. In other words, he dealt irresponsibly. He said, well, I kept it. I, I hid it in the ground and buried it. I can go back and find it. That wasn't what the Lord wanted. The Lord, what have we already said? He wants productivity. He wants our work to multiply for kingdom's sake. Not for financial sake, for kingdom's sake. And so let's read here as we read verse 20 and 21 and just see what he says to the one that had five talents. And it'd be similar to that of two talents also. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, who is it that the deacon needs to find good standing? Oh, it's great when the deacon has a good reputation in the community. That's, that's a necessity. It's good when a deacon has a good reputation among the church family. People say, you know, that, that man, he has blessed this church in so many ways. He always fulfills responsibilities. Just a real blessing to the work of the church and to our lives here. That's wonderful. But friends, the most important, is what is the Lord going to say to that deacon on the day of judgment? This picture here of this parable is showing us a scene when the owner comes back from the far country, which is the day of judgment, and says, okay, I placed in your hands five talents, I placed in your hands two talents, I placed in your hands one talent. Now what have you done? Is the Lord going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? I believe with all of my heart a man can enter into heaven without being a deacon or an elder. But I don't know if a man can enter into heaven serving in the office and not being responsible, not being faithful. Because this same story, this same parable, notice what he said about the one that buried his talent. In other words, he did not deal responsibly. In verse 30, he says, And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. Now, friends, I need to realize also that all of us are to be servants in the Lord's kingdom. Remember how we closed that sermon this morning? We all have responsibility. We all are, all are to put our hands to the plow. So this is an application that's not only true for those that are serving in an office, this is true for all of us. What is the Lord going to say to us? Is He going to say, well done? In other words, you work till the end. Done. You're finished. Well done. Thou good, you did good in your life with the things I have given you. You're good and faithful. You were there in season and out of season. You weren't lukewarm. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if the Lord cannot say that to us, the only other answer that He gives is, cast them into outer darkness. And so it is. What a blessing it is when we have servants. When we have servants that are responsible among us. We're blessed with so many deacons that work so hard, and they are faithful in that way. Let's go back to our text in 1 Samuel and I want you to notice the end of verse 17 as we think also of the importance of sacrifice. Verse 17 closed by saying that he always returned to Ramah for his home was there. Now we're talking about Samuel again now. And he says, there he judged Israel. Now that's his responsibility. That was the position that he held. But notice the end here. And there, talking about at his home at Ramah, he built an altar to the Lord. You and I have probably never seen an animal burnt on an altar as an offering. And so we have to just probably have to have a, a mental picture of this. We just have to envision what would this have been like. I need to realize that for something to be offered on the altar, it was a sacrifice of the person, possessions. In other words, they owned that lamb. They owned that, that ox. They owned that animal. And to them, it had a great monetary worth. And so it was a tremendous sacrifice for them to take that. It was a sacrifice of time to build an altar. It was a sacrifice of time to prepare that animal in the way God would want it to be prepared. It was a sacrifice of will. I don't think there's anything about an individual that's a child of God that would say on their own, I want to do this just for my own sake. I love to smell an animal burning. If you've ever smelt an animal burning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Why did they do it? It was sacrifice. Because God asked for it. It was a sacrifice of possessions. It was a sacrifice of time. It was a sacrifice of their will to God's will. And we go back in the Bible and we see Noah rode all that time on an ark that he obeyed God in building it. Such a tremendous story. Now, if you could just envision, what would you do when you first were able to come out on dry land again? You've been on an ark with all of, of these animals. And you've been on an ark with your family. Now, see, you're coming off the holidays. You know what it's like to be with your family for a few days. Imagine being with your family on an ark for about a year, okay? What are you going to do when you finally come off that ark? Friends, it's probably not a surprise to us, but let it sink in. Let it be real to us. What did he do? He said, I've got to find some stones. I'm building me an altar. And I want to get some of those clean animals that the Lord said to take extra of those. And I want to take those clean animals and I'm going to make an offering to God. Why? 
because that was what godly people did in their day was made the offering to God. In Genesis, the 12th chapter, God comes to Abraham and he asks him to do an amazing thing. Go to a land, but he doesn't tell him where the land is. Just pick up your wife and pick up and, and just move. He was a wealthy man. No doubt he was leaving a great estate behind. And you know, as he traveled along, what he would do from time to time? He would stop and he would build altars. And he would give his offering to God. In Genesis, the 22nd chapter, we read about the one that brings tears to our eyes and a lump to our throat. When God asked him, I want you to go Mount Moriah and I want you to offer your son Isaac. The only son he and Sarah had, the son that they waited till he was a hundred years old. Abraham was a hundred years old when he was born. And he climbed that steep mountain with his son quizzing him on, where's the sacrifice? You imagine having to answer that to your son as you climb the mountain. It would be so much easier for Abraham to say, I'm the sacrifice. You're going to offer me. But he knew when he got to the top of that mountain that he was going to take stones and he was going to build an altar. He's going to pile it with wood and he's going to bind his son and he was going to lay his son upon the altar and he's going to raise his knife. What he didn't know was that God was going to stop him and declare that he'd passed the test. When we read in the story of Job, we read that tremendous story. But the first paragraph of Job, God wants us to see the righteousness of this man. And so as we see about this man that lived an upright life, we also read about a man that had ten children. And as the story opens, you know what we find him doing? He's at an altar, and he's offering a sacrifice for each of his children. And that verse closes by saying, for that's what Job did regularly. A sacrifice of possessions, a sacrifice of time to sacrifice our will to God's will. It's no surprise that a great and godly man like Samuel would go back to his home in Ramah, and there he'd build an altar. Because he too was a man that was willing to sacrifice possessions and time and his will to God's will. I'd like to, uh, for us to read together, if you will, two passages. First Peter, the second chapter, neither will take much explanation. They're self-explanatory. But in the New Testament, we don't read of the need for you and I to raise lambs so that we can offer a lamb or to raise cattle so we can offer an ox. What should we do? As we read in 1 Peter, the second chapter, the first three verses, we see that we need to lay aside sin. We see that we need to have desire for the Word of God, just like a baby has desire for milk. And in verse 3, when we read the Word of God, and by the way, I hope one of your New Year's resolution, if you're not already a daily Bible student, that that will be one of them. And when we read the Word of God, what should we be doing? We should be tasting the graciousness of Jesus Christ. That's what verse 3 tells us. And so we say, what are we to taste about Jesus Christ? Let's read verse 4 and 5. As we read in the Scriptures, we are to see that He's coming to Him. We are coming to Him 
as to a living stone. In other words, Jesus is a part of that foundation. But He's not a dead stone. He's alive. He's been resurrected from the grave. Rejected indeed by men. Yes, that's what put Him on the cross. But chosen by God and precious. Now where does that place us? Now the description of us. What it should be, verse 5. You also as a living stones. In other words, we ought to be a part of the building, the house of God, the church here on this earth, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Now, who was it under the old law that offered sacrifice? It was the priest. But now, what are we to do? We don't have to have a priest that we go through to reach God. Because of Jesus Christ, we are to offer sacrifice to God ourselves. What are we to offer? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, what are those spiritual sacrifices? Look at Romans the 12th chapter and verse 1 and 2. Romans the 12th chapter and verse 1 and 2. And let's see the spiritual sacrifice. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So you see, it's our body. It's not that lamb. A few weeks ago, by way of introduction, we studied this, this text. And we see that our bodies is to be that living sacrifice. It's the way we live each day. It's the way we think each day. It's the way we speak each day. It is the person we are. Our lives is to be a sacrifice to God. Not, verse 2, conform to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we close... I just want to mention to you two stories about how important it is for our sacrifice to be pure. A pure life of sacrifice. When we go back to the story of Samuel, you'll remember that Saul was anointed king by Samuel. And when we read in the 13th chapter, in 1 Samuel the 13th chapter, there was a time where the Philistines surrounded Saul and his people in such great numbers. It says that there were 30,000 chariots in verse 5 and 6,000 horsemen. Now try to imagine that. 30,000 chariots. And you can imagine Saul and his people looking about and the scripture says the people realized they were in danger and says that the people were troubled. It was time after seven days for a sacrifice to be offered to God. Samuel had not showed up. Samuel was the one that was carrying out the priestly duties for the people. Saul, he made a decision. I'm going to do it anyway. It wasn't the place of the king to offer this sacrifice. Now think of this, he's the king. Still, it wasn't the place of the king to offer this sacrifice. He offers the sacrifice. God is not at all pleased. Samuel walks up to him. And then this is the response in 13. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God. And it was there that Samuel said, the Lord will search for another anointed to be king. We go to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. God told them to go in, Saul and his people, and destroy King Agag. All of them. Nothing remained. Men, women, children, even the nursing children and infants. All of the possessions. Samuel walks up to Saul after this and he hears the calves mooing, and he hears the sheep, and he can't believe the king is there alive. What a disobedience to God. 
And so he begins to question Saul about this. And Saul tries to blame the people and says, they brought these back to offer sacrifice. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? It's going to be a great sacrifice to God. And notice Samuel's answer in 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as the iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also has rejected you from being king. What's the point? Tonight especially as we're thinking about deacons and those in office, here was a man that was in the highest office of his land that God had given, that of being a king. And he would try to say, as he disobeyed God, I was just doing it to be able to offer a sacrifice. I know it was Samuel that was supposed to be doing it, but, but he wasn't here. Or, but look at all these animals. I know God said destroy them, but we're going to make a grand sacrifice to God. And what's God's plea? Obedience. Obedience can never be sacrificed. Sacrifice doesn't trump obedience. And so it is. Whether we're in positions or not, we all need to hear this. Human nature says that if I've been good long enough, God will just overlook some of this small stuff. Well, I've been a faithful Christian for years and years, and I've helped so many people come to Christ. God's not going to hold me accountable for this little vice over here. And the Lord says obedience is greater than sacrifice. It doesn't matter all the sacrifices we made. If we're neglecting God's commandments, those sacrifices are not going to outweigh that disobedience. What the Lord wants is a life that is a pure, living sacrifice to Him each day. Beautiful thought of home. I hope you know how blessed we are to have a church family. Some of us have lived in parts of the country. Some of us have visited parts of the country where you can't find a church family. You can't find a group of God's people. And what a blessing we have. But let's all make sure this year that as we count the blessings of home, that we also deal responsibly with home. And that we always use our life as a living sacrifice to make this place a better place. For to God, that's even greater than sacrifice. Tonight, what a wonderful way to close out this first day of the year. It's to make our life right with God. There's not anything standing between you and God except you, if there's anything. If you have sin that's unresolved, it's up to you. God wants you to come home. His arms are open. He wants you to come home. Won't you do that? If you need to be baptized, won't you come home? If you need to be restored, won't you come home? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing. I've
minutes. Uh, we're thrilled to have everyone here with us today. And if you have not already had a chance to take the Lord's Supper, it's been prepared uh, in the fellowship hall. As we sing number 822, if you would make your way there, uh, there will be some men there to serve you. 822. My sovereign will at last have you live. I will be thine. day and a wonderful way to begin our new year with two uh, powerful messages from David. If you would flip over to 415, I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, filled out an attendance card and pass those to the aisle if you do so, so that we can know who you are and that you are with us. 
and our young men will pick those up as we sing this song. We'll sing the first and last verse of each step I take, and let's make this our prayer for every day of this coming year together. Step by step, my Savior goes before me. Dear God, we thank you that we could come here tonight and worship you. And Father, we thank you for this day, this Lord's Day, and that we're able to kick off a new year in worship to you. Father, we thank you for these newly appointed deacons. We pray that, that each of us as a congregation will support them, that we'll serve in these ministries, we'll support them in these ministries. Father, we we ask now that as we begin a new year that you'll help us each to look at our own lives and be more committed than ever to, to learning your word, to studying your word, and, and to serving you. Father, we ask now that you'll continue to be with the, the sick of our congregation, those that couldn't be here with us today. Father, we ask now that you'll go with us, watch over and protect us. In Jesus' name, amen. 